Welcome back to the NetCentrics podcast. I'm your host, Scott Mackin. I'm joined here today with Ines Akrap. She's a web performance engineer with NetCentric. And uh, Ines, why don't you uh, take the floor for a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Scott. So yeah, I'm Ines. I was born and raised in Zagreb, Croatia, and I'm currently living in Munich. So as you already said, I'm a web performance specialist. I actually started as a front-end developer, so most of my career and like well, life in Eccentric, I was a web, uh, I was a front-end uh, engineer. However, this year I changed uh, to web performance to specialize a bit. And yeah, I'm also part of a Female Tech Leaders Voluntary Organization where I uh, teach people how to code in my free time. And I'm also a mom to be. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a. Uh... Quite a roadmap you you generated there. Plus, what's lying ahead of you? Um, we'll we'll probably come back to that later. Uh, what motherhood lies in store for you? But going back, where did you say you were from in Croatia? I'm from Zagreb, the capital. Okay, and when was last time you lived there? Oh, <laughs> good question. Uh, I think so. I've been in Munich now for three years. I've been three years before this. I was in Barcelona, and then. Yeah, I was then in Zagreb. So I was uh, I went uh, on my last year of my master's degree. Uh, I went to Portugal for a year as well to study as an Erasmus exchange. Then I was I did my master's degree like while I was back back in uh, Croatia. And well, then you know how it goes. Once you leave, it's hard. It's hard to go back. So then I was already starting to search for some uh, opportunities for internships and around you know Mediterranean. And well, I settled for Barcelona. So. That's how, yeah. how I left. Not a I bad never city. returned. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad place to settle for. Uh, so tell me, going back, how did you first get into tech? Tell me your first memory of technology. Well, I think it actually goes back with our first computer. I think my family, we had the first computer in 95, which I think I, w- I was, well, I was four years old. I think it was in 95, which means I was four years old back then. And yeah, it was just, of course, like just the war was over and my dad, he was he was uh, in the military and he was playing a lot of these strategy games after that as well. So I was always like looking behind his shoulder when he was playing Civilization and things like this. And Minesweeper, I never, I think to this day, I still just randomly click it. Never, Find out where the bombs like, are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was always like, what's happening here? But yeah, I think it was it was basically this, you know, like back in the days when you would just open paint to draw something randomly and then just like fill in the gaps with the with the colors. So I think those were my my first memories so of what, the computer. What got you hooked? What was the what was the element that got you hooked? Maybe when you were uh, younger. Well, I think I think from that there on, like it was quite interesting. So I remember my sister; she's six years younger. And she was she was on a computer she, since she was born. I remember she was, I think, three years old, clicking, you know, studying English, like with the games. And we had some Barbie games and like Lego games and all this stuff. So I guess like this diversity that you can do, you know, like all this stuff that you can do, you can write, you know, you write your own stories and like then print it out. And of course, you know, then of course, when the full first modems came and the whole thing about Internet, that was quite, I guess, you know, I was I was exposed to it like since since quite early age. Yeah, we're kind of an interesting generation because um, we were analog, you know, in our early childhood, and we came online as the technology was being invented. I think that's a that's a crazy uh, juxtaposition to have, where you straddle both both worlds. We're not the baby boomer generation, but we're also not born into it like like Gen Z. We're kind of right in the middle there. So, take me through kind of your career. Like, what did you study in university, and and after that, where did you end up? So I'm one of those weird kids that decided what they want to be. So when I was, I think, 10 years old, 
which is also even more weird since, you know, well, I'm a girl and I said I wanted to be engineer when I was 10. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was quite a, it was quite fun for my, for my parents as well. But then like when you actually go backwards, it's, I was always exposed to building things. So my first three years of life, like while during the war, my, uh, I was living with my mom and my grandparents and my grandpa was always building stuff. So like every day, like most of my toys, I build myself, you know, I was like, okay, what do you want today? Swing to the workshop, you know, then we would go to the workshop and build myself a swing. You know, I would like, oh yeah, I want it to be red. And then we would go to the store, buy red paint. Next day I would paint my swing. So I was like, from really early age, I was always building stuff. And of course that continued with my dad as well. It was like both my grandpa and my dad, well, they didn't have any <laughs> grand grandsons and sons in general. So I was that, you know, in a way. And yeah, they, they built quite a lot of things. And I think that's where, you know, the whole kind of engineering comes from. I also like remember my first day of uh, kindergarten, my mom came to pick me up and I was surrounded by kids. And she was like, what, what's happening? And she was like, yeah, you were there in the middle of a circle building Legos and everyone was watching at you. I was like, what did she do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely rare. There's not too many 10 year olds that know they want to be an engineer. Uh, besides your, your father and, grand and grandparents building you know, things when you were home, is there anybody in your family that was an engineer that inspired you? Basically, I, I think it was mostly my, my godmother. So she's as well, she, she finished the same university I did, electrical engineering and computer science and she is of course from Croatia as well but she's actually living uh and well working in in Italy at the moment I just visit her last week actually and yeah I was like since young age I was also like told you know well you know look at her she's a partner in her company about automatization you know she lives in Italy and for me that was like you know super cool like being an engineer and all that like stuff you know she was like quite a high of an influence on that definitely no, that's great. I think it's really important to have role models and, and people that kind of guide you, especially at those early ages. And it's nice that you had somebody inspiring there um, just next door in Italy to be able to uh, show a leader's example uh, in that world, especially, you know, at a time where maybe not a lot of um, young adolescent girls have exposure to that and didn't know that that was a possible career path. Uh, was that always something that you, you thought you would pursue was, was the maths and sciences? Well, actually, yes, I was always good at math. So for me, that was kind of logical thing to do. You no, know? it was also, I don't know, for me, my parents as well were always, you know, putting like this values where smart was one of the you know quite important value in our family you know like as well hard work for sure but it was like you know be smart and work hard you know and, and you, you'll get somewhere well you are smart but work hard and you're gonna get somewhere so that was that was something that I think my parents as well you know foster with me since young age yeah so after university what was your first job well, Netcentric. <laughs> oh, you you went right from university. You graduated and went right to Netcentric. Yeah, well, yeah, more or less. So basically, well, I was uh, I came to Barcelona for an internship in this like really small startup, and this was actually quite interesting because I guess with a lot of girls and women in tech, what happens is that even if you're studying, so not a lot of girls study computer science. Well, <laughs> I can tell you that from my generation as well. I remember I think we were like about. 15 to 20% of, of women mm -hmm. on like on the whole, on the whole course. But then I started this uh, internship in Barcelona with this um, like a super, super small startup and I did everything. So literally, you know, from fixing the coffee machine to recruiting <laughs> to everything. And I realized I was actually the happiest when I was coding. 
And then basically I was living with uh, like my flatmate at the moment worked for an eccentric and he told me that they're just opening this whole academy program for the first time. And when, of course, when you lifted the restrictions for Croatians to work with, I just like sent him a message and I was like, send, send in the CV. And that was basically six years ago. So and I'm wow. still here. So you started through one of the eccentric kind of boot camps, right? It was a Java boot camp, right? Uh, yeah, it was, it was basically just like this, this general kind of AM and everything like the, the, the boot camp. It was the first one they ever did. Okay. So it was, it was super interesting. It was, I think, 20, 24, 25 of us joining at the same time. So what was it like coming out of that, that boot camp? What was your first role in Eccentric? Well, I got as well. I got quite an interesting. So I, um, I worked for Raiffeisen straight there. Then like we had this project where I think it was also uh, kind of bit meant for the academitos as we were <laughs> as we refer we were referred to you know just uh and i was working with a few of course few a bit older colleagues but mostly i think the team was mostly from the academy the team academy and we actually started building the platform from scratch so that was that was really really awesome you know you just kind of get straight into something you know super interesting and of course you get straight into something new which was way better than you know like messing up with with, with a bunch of old code yeah, that's good. That I mean, it's a new project, and you have a cohort, so you're with you're with a bunch of newbies. So you kind of feel like you're not, you know, too yeah. much underwater. But uh, you get to build something from scratch. That's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, so tell me a little bit about your journey at Netcentric. How did you come on board as a newbie, and then to the kind of developing to where you are now? It's been an interesting journey for sure. So I, you know. Well, being a consultancy, there is always a bit of a luck involved when it comes to projects, no? So, you know, sometimes you actually just have to be at the right place at the right time or basically be free at the right time when like a cool project comes in, which kind of happened to me a few times. <laughs> so I like I, I do like acknowledge a bit of this just to some maybe like luck, but as well. I got to work on quite interesting, interesting projects, interesting technology. So I think I worked for five or six different clients on on really different pro platforms so i had a first platform was exactly like the, just dam uh project that we were doing just the base basic one then after that uh i got like what was at that point i think one of the coolest projects in the company which was with angular and that was like super new technology at at the time so that was that was really great we were also like a quite a big team of front-enders i think it was only one back-ender and four front-enders and i had this amazing amazing mentor who knew like a lot about it so I, I remember we were like coming in at eight o'clock in the morning leaving like the both of us at seven in the evening just like coding the whole time and it was so much fun and yeah after that as well I got this uh, a platform also for like we want German retailer the whole platform from scratch as well which was it was also quite challenging so it, it started quite uh of course, I had a team and I started with the, with, with the lead, but at one point I was still junior at the time. And at one point we were splitting the team into uh, small te uh, small sub teams. And he came to and asked me like, if I would like to like lead one of these teams and basically set everything up, which was like, oh, whoa, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of, you know, pressure. And that's a lot of challenge and a lot of confidence you have in me. But yeah, of course that was... I said yes, because I think saying no, it's one of the, my, my biggest you know, <laughs> problems in life. Yeah. Uh, that, that. So what was it like going from a, a more technical, hands-on, let's say, self or individual contributor into a team lead or maybe even more of a manager? Well, at that point, I think I was, I was mostly working alone. So for last, I guess for the last 
year and a half to like even even a bit more i've been mostly working like alone since we have more smaller projects than like sometimes you have like well uh, alone on the front end side mm-hmm. not like you of course you always have the team so i always have my, my of course the team of backends the the requirements engineers and everything and then after that as well last year i did um, also quite an interesting like a product finder thing where i was as well most of the time I was the only front end just having here and there like some helping hands. But yeah, at one point as well on that, this project, uh, the big project, I did have two trainees uh, to train. And so so it, it was quite challenging because, you know, you're trying to handle something you see for the first time. So I was, I was kind of, I was setting up everything, which was definitely first time for me doing something like that on a big project and then at the same time you got like two brand new people to kind of help and train which of course it requires a lot of your input Mm -hmm. and like kind of a bit of a mentorship so it was kind of challenging to kind of handle this this both you know learning yourself and like this huge challenge that you have and then at the same time teaching teaching someone else right it's a it's a tough balance it's very delicate right so if you want to go fast you go alone but if you want to go far you need a team yeah. and that's where exactly. you need to spend some of your resources building that team and training others so that you have you have support behind you and it's not just uh, always on your shoulders so what was it like you you transitioned you went from a front end uh, engineer learning new technologies and leading projects now you're a web performance engineer what what's that mean i studied electrical engineering and computer science well and the module was telecommunications so what i my master degree is actually in telecommunication and information technology so first piece of javascript i ever wrote in my life was application for netcentric Wow. So that's kind of like, you know, entering Netcentric was basically my entrance to front-end world as well. I was more like searching for jobs in, uh, you know, in Ericsson or Telefonica or sure. something like that. And then I got this, which was, was okay, why not? Like, this looks fun. And yeah, so basically all, all front-end I know I learned here in Netcentric from my amazing colleagues. And when I actually, when I moved from Barcelona to Munich, I kind of started more interacting with one of the colleagues, Fabian, who is super into web performance. And I think for the last three years, he's been like my, my biggest mentor, definitely. And he kind of transferred a bit this whole passion for this field to me, which was, which is kind of quite natural because my, my background does come from this whole networking side and then like, you know, optimizing how stuff loads when it comes and all that stuff. It's, it's super, it, it kind of goes, goes a bit back to my roots actually. Yeah. That's cool. How, how it comes full circle. And you mentioned your master's degree. Did you do that part-time while you were working? Did you stop working and go back and get it? How did that happen? I did it like straight away. So in Croatia, most of the people like straight after bachelor's, we usually have like three years of bachelor's and then two years of master's. So you just go straight away because they still, a lot of people don't recognize bachelors as actually doing something. (laughs) So we all have like master's degree. And I remember even in in Spain, when I came, I was like 23 years old and I had my master's and everyone was like, you have a master's? And I'm like, yeah, you don't. (laughs) Isn't this this something everyone does? Which is again like quite a interesting cultural no Phenom- yeah. like but not phenomena but yeah no that's really interesting um, okay stepping away from from work for a minute what are some of your uh, passions and hobbies outside of the office most of my life I was dancing like a type of you know jazz show dance so that was a huge part of my life I did quite some competitions on that and uh, and of course a lot of you, you met a lot of great people you mm-hmm. know got like the teamwork base there. So I still like, I really enjoy dancing occasionally and basically anything, you know, fitness related. So I did, currently I'm just doing, you know, prenatal yoga <laughs> because that's, <laughs> that's what you're supposed to be doing. Now. <laughs> like, 
no one's super happy when they hear you're lifting 10 kilos. Right, day, so. right. Six months pregnant, I think, at that point, it's like, okay, very easy. Yeah. You know, yoga sounds good. Yoga, yeah. <laughs> I just use one. It's just one, one, you know, one weight, so it's five kilos, not 10. You know? That's good. That's good. But yeah, I did, did, did some CrossFit for a while. I did like different functional trainings and stuff like this. So it's basically, I, I do love, love to kind of keep active, to train, to go out outdoors as well. I was never a big fan of running, maybe, but like walking around or hiking and, of course, skiing in the winter. So Nice. And you traveled quite a bit uh, in your youth right after school, right after university, right? So so what were um, what, what have been some of your favorite trips or places to live? When, when it comes to life, so I had, of course, I have Portugal. Portugal is still, I think, my, my biggest love. <laughs> you know, yeah. Of course, you just, you kind of went there. It was my first completely, you know, time living alone, far from my parents and everything. And, of course, I was... I was on, on last year of my studies. So of course, you're you're already a bit, uh, you know, you're not a, that much of a kid anymore. Right. But it was it was really interesting. It just gives you that complete freedom, and I really love the country. I also uh, I studied in a small city called Aveiro, so it's, it's more or less it's between between uh, Porto, Porto and Lisbon, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, on the on the coast. Yeah. And I think it has like 60,000 people, and it's super universities, like you know, super academic city. So it was mostly young people there, and I kind of really love the whole. You know, the whole vibe where it was, I think I haven't used my phone properly like in a year. You only use the phone to kind of send someone message when and where are you meeting. So they're quite, you know, people oriented. They're really not materialistic. That's at least like my kind of my experiences I had there. And everyone's like, I don't know, super helpful, super nice. So I really, really love the country. And well, it was quite cheap as well. So. Yeah, I found I found it the exact same way. I, I love that area, especially between uh, Porto and Lisboa. It's uh, it's beautiful. The people are amazing. Um, the level of English is actually quite high. So so oh, as yeah. a, a non a non Portuguese speaker, it was actually quite easy to get around, and, and everyone's very very helpful and friendly. Mm-hmm. Regarding Netcentric, I mean, how does uh, how does the company I guess enable people to pursue those kinds of uh, interests and, and passions? Is it? Are you able to move across different uh, different channels? Oh yes. Well, well, I'm I'm a <laughs> I'm definitely an example. Like so, first of all, of moving countries as well. So this is something that that you can do with Netcentric a lot of times. So, or I think now it's it's more people as well can get if, if there is no uh, office in the, your city in the city you live in, you can as well get the remote contract. So you can just work from home. I think full time. And as well, like you can ask for for to change. It's most. I think most of the times it's approved. If, if it makes any sense, it's approved, and usually it makes sense. So I think this this was quite a quite a nice uh, thing I got to do because you know I, I changed countries, but I didn't have to change uh, office, which was so easy. You know, I just came here and I knew half. Uh, I was on the same project. You know, so it's not that big of a transition, and it's way easier to to, to do it that way. And. Yeah, when it comes to as well, of course, also my colleague just moved as well from front end to kind of requirements engineer, business analyst role. So that was as well. So it's it's absolutely, it's super flexible when it comes to this. Of course, if it makes sense as well for you, if you have some skills, uh, you can always move around. And for web performance, we actually, it took us a while to kind of set up because it was not already there. So we had to kind of make the whole, let's say, department from scratch. But now, yeah, now we're we're four people at the moment in, the, in it and it's and it's I hope it's going to grow of course someone needs to replace me as well for for some months but yeah okay. well so okay so speaking of finding that kind of work-life balance how have you managed to to do that I didn't <laughs> <laughs> I 
think I think that was one of my weakest points generally. You know, it's just so for for most of my career, you know, I was young and you know super motivated and super energetic and well living alone in a different country which means basically my work was my life and my colleagues were my friends so it's I, th- I think for well most of most of my work like my six last six years it kind of just blended in together but it was it was quite fun no it was something you choose to do it was not something I had to do actually speaking of the last 12 months or 18 months or so with the pandemic um, how did you handle that what was it like working remotely well it was well good and bad so I, I did I did experience a bit of a burnout last year definitely because you know it's I am a type of person as well. I need I need my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just as much as like I like to see myself as a kind of in between, you know, be- between extrovert and introvert. I need I need my downtime as well, but I do need my you know people time. And I don't know, like being stuck in this corner here where I am sitting at right now as well, you know, for for a year and a half. You know, I do my yoga one meter from here, and I watch my TV three meters from here. So it's just. I think all this this has been quite hard, definitely. And then, of course, I had this project that was, you know, it was quite challenging project. And I was, you know, I was coding for 15, 14, 15 hours per day because, well, I had nothing else to do. You know? yeah. It's like, okay, I might as well. It was it's super interesting. It's super engaging. Out of the sudden, it's eight o'clock in the evening and you don't even notice. And of course, with me having a problem saying no to to things, it was a bit so that was definitely a bit harder to bounce back from, you know, just like the motivation went down and the whole energy. And this is like, as well, I'm, I I think if you ask people who know me, you know, to describe me in one word, I think energy is going to be thrown in around somehow. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting that feeling myself. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, like just not having energy was basically a bit losing myself completely. It was like, who am I? Like, that's that's who I am. I'm usually like a super positive, energetic person. And like, without motivation or without energy, like, who am I actually? So that was quite a, as well, challenging yeah, that's, to kind it, of bounce bad, yeah. It's great that you can actually self-recognize that because I think that what you're, what you're touching upon isn't, is very common from the last year, right? Especially people who are passionate and love their work. They, you can put your head down, you can dive into it, but if you are in the same environment, working heads down 12, 14 hours a day. Um, it is, burnout's a very real thing. And so um, it's it, it's tough to find that that balance or at least know when to turn off. Like you said, all of a sudden it's eight o'clock at night, you've been working for 12 hours. Mm. Burnout's gonna happen, you know, whether you know it or see it or sense it coming or not. Uh, so I think that's um, a very real, you know, real thing, especially when there isn't that, that opportunity to go step away, go play ping pong, go say hi to some friends, grab some lunch, you know, to have that natural, those natural, you know, daily breaks. So how did you, how did you overcome it? how did you break through it? I guess, you know, this year as well has been quite different because my, my body has something else to do as well. So I can't definitely, you know, it's kind of forcing me not only for myself, but for someone else right now, you know, to take some breaks. So yeah, you know, yeah, you're, <laughs> You're not the boss anymore. Yeah, I hate to no, tell you I'm that. No, I'm definitely not the boss. I'm definitely not the boss anymore. Not of my body. So just just before this recording, I had a nap because that's the only way I function now. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. Just, it's, I need uh, a I need my nap, especially with this heat. Yes. No. Of course. And and as a father of two, um, I can tell you that 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 doesn't end. You you are no longer the boss of your time. You have moments, but you no longer have time to yourself. You have to um, sign up for that. <laughs> So, um, how's it going to be? Are you going to take some time off when, obviously, when the baby comes? Are you taking time off uh, coming up shortly? 
yeah so i think uh, from basically from september have some time off i, I guess around like eight ten eight to ten months let's see how this whole you know how, how it all goes how 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 she's gonna be treating me you know mm -hmm. you gotta give me time or not so like you know give me sleep or not but yeah also like i guess the germany has quite quite a great you know programs here as well so you can take a half time as well so me and my uh my partner can have like half a time as well for some extended period of time so i think we're gonna do something like this as well a bit you know to kind of split the responsibility to ease in back into the whole in the game yeah but definitely. yeah i don't think i can do like too much you know as well i i can't see myself you know staying home for two three years Maybe that's going to change. I don't know. But at this point in time, I just don't see myself, you know, doing, you know, just talking, talking to a two year old, three year old <laughs> for two years. You know? Yeah, you need uh, you need adult interaction mixed in there sometimes. Uh, but no, Germany's very, very generous with their paternity and maternity leave programs. Uh, so you're definitely in the right spot for that uh, in this upcoming year. And then you can take or, or not take as much as you want um, when you want to get back in the game. Coming back to the game, how do you envision not just not just for you personally, but how do you envision the world post COVID. Well, I hope I hope it's gonna make people more like well, remote work. I think this is something that's gonna happen. I think a lot of companies, especially as well, our clients, a lot of clients were, you know, asking uh, people to be on site. And sometimes that's great. You know, when I was, I had to do this for for iFi's, and I had to go to Switzerland every month, which was awesome because I was 24 and that was the best thing ever. But of course, when you have to go every week or something, I think it's it's quite, especially with a family, it can be quite uh, demanding as well. So I, I guess like a lot of people now are going to realize that working from home is not, you know, not working actually. <laughs> that a lot of people actually do more work when they're home, no, mm -hmm. than they're when when they're in the office. So I guess. Still, some of these um, organizations that are a bit maybe like old-fashioned minded uh, still need. I, I think they are finally realizing that this is possible and that this is something that's that's normal. Yeah, exactly. I think COVID was the great accelerator, right? Like the accelerant that that taught everybody how to work remotely. And obviously, some organizations were more prepared than others, and some groups and some individuals obviously took to it better than others. However, I don't think the world's going to go back 100% to normal. Uh, at the same time, there's still some things that can't be done remotely. It will be interesting to see oh, how, how things come back. Now, you uh, last time we talked, you were also saying that you're involved in a lot of um, kind of women in tech initiatives. How did you get involved in that? With me having, you know, with me having such strong role models in my life, I think I realized how important that is actually for for young girls as well. No, because a lot of times, you know, society tells us things that are actually not true. You know, like with the with the boys are better in math and stuff like this, which Again, it's absolutely not true. And yeah, I think it, it just went bit by bit with some a few initiatives. So we had one initiative. I really, I think I'm the one I'm most proud of and like happiest about. So one of my colleagues here in Munich came to me, I think three years ago, two years ago, and explained to me that there is this uh, a girl's day on the level of Germany where young girls, there's also boys, boys days, so, <laughs> but there is uh, young girls from Germany. They just go to different companies and, you know, they kind of, see what they do there. And he asked me if I would prepare like this day, if I would do some workshop for uh, his daughter and her, her classmates. And I was super excited to do this because, you know, 
this is something uh, a lot of times when I talk to people about this, you know, when people talk about diversity and women in tech, it's like, oh, yeah, we need more women. We need more women. You can't hire what does not exist. You know, you can't have, you know, okay, we have 15% of women and that's the most that you're going to have because that's how much it was in my university. No, <laughs> so I don't think you can get more like unless you actually start from the beginning, you know, start from the root and get young girls interested like in the whole field. And actually one of the girls came back next year for an internship. So I was so, so excited that actually, you know, even one of seven, you know, it just got interested in the field because the two of us and like, well, our crazy, silly <laughs> energy that, that we emit. But it was, I think it was quite interesting. Yeah, like, that's the, the, amazing. That's amazing. You're able to inspire, you know, uh, the next generation to, to get involved in this world and, and to pursue those, uh, those passions and, and those interests uh, all the way to the point of, of a professional internship. When you were in Barcelona, were you also doing things in this, in this space as well? Well, not that much. So not that much. I was more, I think, more of my, my professional development and everything. I also had a great role models there as well. So I think it's, it, it more started like in Munich as well with this, uh, with the female tech leaders, which is mm -hmm. association, I kind of joined. Of course, I was a new in town. I found some of their events, joined them, and I was like, "Oh, how do I become a part of this?" Especially when I saw that they have uh, a team that does a programming course, so teach teaches people how to program. I think we just did our last course last week, actually. So the the web development for complete beginners. I think that's one of like the most famous ones, and like the most. Uh, we always get so many applications for this one. And it's super amazing, like seeing a lot of different women apply for this with such a different backgrounds. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, maybe product owners or whoever. It, they already are in tech, but they want to understand their development developers a bit better. But then it's someone who just wants to start their own business. So they need some, you know, how to make a website or someone. I think once I have uh, I had a, had a girl who she was a personal trainer. I think she even she even came like with the with the laptop of a different person because she didn't have her own, but was super interested in the topic. And like, he, of course, at the end of the end of the whole course, she managed to do her own like small website. So that was quite fun. That's cool. It is amazing to see you know people from all walks of life coming into this world, and, and like you said, just borrowing a friend's laptop and getting started. Because I think yeah. the speed at which technology is progressing. Um, it's really about just diving in and getting a foothold and then and being able to grow. Like you said, you came from electrical engineering and telecommunications and then, you know, your first role out of graduate school was was a front-end engineer. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's hard to predict where, where it will end up, but uh, it's about taking that first step. We're coming up to the end here, but I wanted to close with one question that we've been asking everybody, and that is looking ahead, right, into the future. If you had to name one technology or one innovation that you are most excited about in the next 10, 20, 30 years? What would it be and why? Oh, you got me there. Uh, well, I guess this is, this, is a, this is a bit interesting because I have a bit of a kind of, you know, bipolar relationship to technology. <laughs> of course, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm in technology. But then from the other side, I'm trying to, you know, keep it balanced, doze it in my life, especially, you know, when I was choosing my smartwatch, I wanted to have all these, you know, sleep tracking and everything, but I still didn't want to receive all my notifications and be able to send messages. So right. I guess this is something I'm also quite interested to see how it's going to, you know, progress further because with everything, you know, with the, with the appearance of the smartphones, we got something, you know, we got Google Maps and we got translators mm -hmm. and we got all that stuff. But then we also got social media, which is the biggest consumer of time, <laughs> you know, useless <laughs> basically in the world. So I guess this is something uh, 
I think I'm quite excited about general automatization of things, no? that mm-hmm. a lot of things are, are going to pass to the machines. And I'm actually happy about this, no? because as people, we are no, we're emotional, we have more creativity and things. And I, I don't think machines are ever going to have that, no? because in order to, for them to have that, we have to teach them how to behave and we don't know how we behave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I, I cannot crack myself. And there's like less, you know, learned computer to behave like <sighs> I do. So I know it's, it's something I, I don't think they're ever going to enter in this field. And then having them do these all, you know, small repetitive tasks is, I guess this is quite great. And it's, it's going to be like from the maybe maybe medicine as well, some operation stuff like this. And right. a lot of these fields, I guess, where, where a problem is a human error, no? Like even with driving, no, Stefan mentioned last time, he mentioned the self-driving cars. Right. So I think that's that's one as well. It's amazing because... Most of the driving accidents happen because of the human mistake. And the machine is not going to be showing off their friends how fast he can drive, you know, or, you know, get, get, get into the car drunk. So I guess this is definitely something that could increase safety in general when you actually remove this human aspect from some of these tasks. So I think that 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 could be quite exciting. Yeah, definitely. That's a very philosophical answer. It wasn't about specific technology. (laughs) It was more about what technology will let humankind do, right? So if you can offload some of the, the, you know, rote, you know, memory, let's say, boring stuff and automate that, give that to technology, make the world safer and easier and more efficient, it opens up so many more possibilities for, you know, for Homo sapiens to to exactly uh, to, to thrive, to thrive. Yeah, to thrive yeah. and create, and and maybe a whole new um, Renaissance era will will emerge here. So Let's that's see. that's great. We'll see. Ines, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Best of luck with everything in the months ahead. You have a a, a whole other kind of adventure coming your way. A whole so. new world. No. <laughs> You will have such a fun time. Um, I wish you nothing but the best, but uh, but it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, and yes, good luck. Thank you. 